Hello and welcome to the Whole Libraries podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Dan. In this episode, we had a conversation with author Tom Palmer, who writes wonderful historical fictions as well as sporting adventure books about football and rugby for children and young people. After this, you can hear us chatting to our colleague Amy about some of her favourite things to read, watch and listen to. So this interview was recorded in two parts as my internet decided to go kaput halfway through the first part, bringing everything to a bit of a screeching halt. But Tom was very generous with his time, despite being super busy with deadlines. And so we chatted again another day, trying as best we could to pick up from where we left off. We talked to Tom about how someone who didn't like reading as a child ended up as an author, some of the fascinating research trips he's been on to prepare for his books, and why he feels these are so important to telling a good story. So grab a brew and a biscuit, or set out and stretch your legs as you enjoy our chat with the wonderful Tom Palmer. So let's go back to the beginning and find out about, for anyone who hasn't heard of you before, you've got a fantastic website, so that's really worth a look with loads of links to your books and everything you've done. You've done so much, it is really inspirational. And on there, you've put you're a father, husband, author and football fan. And I just want to know how you got started and um, a bit about your life. Right. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> Where shall we begin? Um, I'm from Leeds. I was brought up in Leeds. I was adopted, fostered and adopted quite young and then sort of brought up by a lovely family. Then I didn't like reading. I struggled with reading, but my mum got me into reading um, by encouraging me to read about football um, and rugby league a bit, but mostly football in um, in, the, in the local paper in Leeds and then magazines and stuff like that. And I read about my favourite football club, which obviously I won't mention on your show because... You'll have to beep it out. And so I read a lot. I read a lot about them, and that got me into reading. And then I, it was weird. I went from being reluctant and not engaged at all with education to and leaving school with not very much to actually going on to um, to night school, doing A levels at night school, and everything happening three or four years later. I went to university in the end, a bit older. I studied European literature in translation, and that was great. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And then I ended up working in bookshops and libraries and running book festivals and stuff like that. And although that didn't help me get published, um, certainly helped once I was published, I understood how bookshops work and libraries work. And um, I think if you know the field you're going into, I don't, I don't think in any way it helped me get published. But maybe one way, though, in that I got to meet authors. In meeting authors, I realised, well, they're just normal people. You don't have to be anything special to be an author. It, you know, it's, it's a normal thing. You can be, and anyone can do it. So it gave me the confidence to think I could be an author. And then, then after working for literacy charities and that and writing for 20 years, I got my first book published, which was great. So it was 20 years of, of writing? Yeah, 20 years of failure. <laughs> oh, no, I don't mean no, that. <laughs> but, but, no, it's good. It's good. It, it was, you know, I had a lot to learn and I got there in the end. But in the end, it was like trying hard, keeping going and then not giving up. And just and then if you don't give up, opportunities arise. And I, I took one. Yeah, definitely. That's a real commitment in it to carry on. So did you have a job and you wrote in your spare time or how did you do it? It varied. Like I sometimes I wrote a lot, sometimes I didn't. And but in the end, like the first book I got published, my wife let me work part time for a year. So I had two jobs, and I gave up one. And um, I worked part time for a year and wrote my first book. And 
that was great. And without that, I wouldn't be published. So I owe her a lot. What's your first book? Well, my first children's book's called Foul Play. But I did dabble with an adult book a bit before that called If You're Proud to Be a Leeds Fan. I think I've done three or four adult. I did one one on libraries, one about libraries and how libraries and publishers can work together. It's more of a, more of a professional book um, than I did. Oh, yeah, I've done one called Barcelona Away. It's, it's written for prisoners. So it's like it's written for, um, it was written and given free to 2,000 prisoners. And it's about a guy who is obsessed with the football and fights at the football. And he's got a young child and he's got to work out whether um, he's going to carry on fighting at the football and get into prison, going end up in prison or he's going to be a responsible sort of family man. And it's kind of the crisis of, of that. But it's not autobiographical, I should hasten okay. to add. <laughs> So just going back to the books you mentioned about Hull, where you did your research, where, where did you go exploring and, and what were the books about? One of, them was, one of them was called Interchange and it's about two brothers who live on the, is it the Branscombe estate? Is that right? Branscombe. Branscombe. Yeah. I spelt it right in the book. Um, <laughs> and, it's, and it's about one of them supports KR, one of them supports FC, and they're both really good at rugby league. And the FC one gets a con- youth contract at KR and the KR one gets a contract at... Uh, FC and they end up going playing for the first team and then there's the the um I don't think it's the grand final it's the cup it's the cup um and they they both end up playing in the cup final at Wembley I don't I shouldn't give it away really anyway yeah but they're identical twins so you can imagine can't you um but there's two endings to it so I wrote it with two endings because we didn't know we couldn't have a draw because that's rubbish isn't it and never, there's never a draw because some, someone always wins. So we, there's a whole KR ending and a whole FC ending. And whole Libraries published that. So I went round the Brands Home estate and um, to the stadiums and just, I mean, I've spent a lot of time walking around Hull City Centre anyway. Yeah, and that, so that was good. But then I wrote another one um, called, oh God, the, first, the, um, the Last Try, The Last Try. Sorry, it's been a, I got up at six this morning to finish a book. Um, so it's called The Last Try, and it's about Jack Harrison, the Hull FC player, who still holds the record for the most tries scored in a rugby league season. And he was he's the only rugby league player to win the, the Victoria Cross in the um, First World War. And it's a story about him. And that that's based around... Um, so I researched that by in town, like by the War Memorial, which was there in the First World War because it was a Boer War Memorial, wasn't it, initially? Then in the, there's a scene where he runs from there. Anyway, he, he runs from that over the bridge and he goes to the area where he used to live, which was which was opposite um, that big park with the Khyber Pass in it. And that's all in it. And so I walked that and I walked it with a local historian so I could say what was there then and what was there before. And so I got, and that was really good and really interesting and, in the story, he the Jack Harrison proposes to his wife at the Khyber Pass, and so I put all that in it, and it was great. And I got so I got to know Hull quite well. But it is such a lovely story, and and the history that is weaved into the the story as well. It, it's it is a really good. You did a lot a lot of work. There's a lot of research you put into your work, isn't there, in your stories? Yeah, and the thing I enjoyed most about that was the um, the zeppelin. So the zeppelin that came over over Hull and. Um, dropped bombs on like the Earl shipyard, Earl's shipyard, isn't it? And um, all that and just researching all that, it was, it was fascinating. Um, and there's a bit in, he sees the the airship coming over and dropping bombs. And I just, I, it was really, it was, 
it's such an amazing story. And so I love I love doing that. And the, re- the research is a really good part of it because I enjoy that. So you're, you've done research, I've seen Hull and you mentioned Plymouth. Where else have your books taken you? I've, it, at the beginning, when I got published by Puffin, um, in the times that middle list authors got paid quite well for books, I, I went on some nice journeys. So at the moment, I'm getting paid like roughly four grand a book. Um, but when I started getting published by Puffin, it was 10. And um, so there was enough to like do a decent research thing. So I did, um, I went to Ghana, Russia, um, the Arctic, wow. New Zealand, and I re- did some amazing research trips. But now, like, you, like the one I've just got out after the war, I went to, to research that. I went to Holland, Czech Republic, and Poland, and the Lake District, and ended up spending, like, half the money I earned blooming researching it. And it, you, you can't, and it's, it's, it's difficult because you want to research it properly, but, you know, you, you're doing it because you love it, but you're doing it because it's your job and you can't afford to give away half your income. But I'd love, to, I'd love to, I'd love to get like a proper advance from, you know, a big advance from a publisher and do some, there's, I've got an idea set in America, but it's probably never going to happen. Well, give it a few years and get let the pandemic settle down. You might be able to go. Yeah. A few years. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Just a few months. No, let's be positive. A few months. Yeah. yeah we'll get through it. We'll be fine. <laughs> So you really like to research and have those actual facts to base your stories around. Do you ever do stories where it's just completely made up fiction? The football ones, yeah, like like the Roy the Rovers. So I'm doing some fiction for Roy the Rovers, and it's um, that's made up people. There's no real people. Oh, and I read footballers' biographies and watch training and. And immerse like I've been to watch England women three times and to, to try and understand the world around the women's game more. And so I do do research, but it's all, it's not directly associated. Whereas like the Holocaust story I've just written and every scene is is based in a, um, a testimony of a, a Holocaust survivor. It's really tight to the truth. Whereas the football ones, you can do what you like and send them off wherever you like and, it's great. So I kind of like alternating between the dead serious ones and the fun ones. I don't know. Is it a bit of a release maybe doing the fictional ones? Because obviously the one you've just mentioned must be really tough to write and, and research. It, yeah. It's it's tough going, isn't it? Did you go to Auschwitz or anything? I did. Yeah, I've been. Yeah. What, what did you think? I went reluctantly, to be honest, because we were going on a, a group holiday with some friends and I didn't really want to go. I'd, I I think it affected me a little bit and I found it very sad. And in the end, I had to tell myself that I went to pay my respects. I was all constantly there thinking, what what am I doing here? Yeah. But then I thought, actually, you need to go and see it and you need to see what's happened because it happened. Yeah. Yeah. You, like you say, you've got to do it. It was, I mean, it was like some of the things there were very hard to get your head around. But the thing that got me there was like, I was kind of ready for Auschwitz because I'd read so much and I'd, I knew what I was going to see. But the thing the thing that got me, I, I, so the next day, I had a flight back from Poland to wherever I was flying to the next day and now home. And um, I went to Krakow to the Jewish quarter just to have a look around because I had a half day and I thought, oh, I'll do that. And I wasn't prepared for that because I went there and I saw the Jewish cemetery, the, the, the synagogues, the old Jewish quarter, the and went in the old cafes and that, and you you realised that this was a place that was a, 
a Jewish community and they've gone because they were all murdered or nearly all of them were murdered. And and it, it that was more affecting in a way than going to Auschwitz because it made me think, hang on, across Europe, cities, towns, villages, all the Jews were taken away and murdered and, and very few survived and even fewer came back to live in those places. And that, that, that really upset me. But that was good because that made me go back to the book and make sure I, I made it clear what, what their um, lives were like before, where they lived, what the families were like, you know, what they enjoyed and the, the, you know, the, the, what brilliant culture they had that was taken. So do you um, do school visits about that story and talk to the children of the right year group? Yeah, yeah, I go into year six or, or seven up um, and talk about and talk about the testimony and how it's based on the truth. But it's, it certainly gets them talking and thinking. And you can tie it you can tie it into things now. You know, you can say you've got to be alert for people being treated differently based on who they are um, and how wrong it is. And look out for it in your own communities but look out for it around the world and try and try and prevent it so you've been to lots of places and done lots of of traveling where's your favorite place you've been i love norway i like norway just because it's big and beautiful i went on a ship up the coast up the coast because my story was set on a ship up the norwegian coast and i went up there that was um what's it called white fear but the book i'm writing now arctic star is also up there but couldn't go there because um, because of COVID. Unfortunately, I couldn't go back. But I'm lucky. I've been a few years ago, and that was just so beautiful. I, I just had a week walking along the tops of mountains and along the side of fjords, and um, like I got to this place like at six in the morning called Hammerfest on the ferry, and there was there was reindeer going through people's bins. It was it's like it's just surreal. And other things, other things there that I can't mention in public that I, that I saw arriving there at six in the morning. It's a, it's an oil town, you know. There's unsavoury things going on. It was just really, really interesting. Obviously, not much of that made it into a children's book. But you see, you see the world, don't you? And then I went to Ghana, and and that was ace. Just going going and seeing young footballers playing, and then they at half time they'll stop and they'll sew they'll sew their boots back together for the second half and all those sort of things you can't really make up and they become, unless you've seen them yourself, they become cliches, don't they? And so seeing all that was amazing. And it just, it, it just, it, the flavor of it, it just goes into the book. If you've been to a place, that's why this Arctic star, the one set in Plymouth, I'm worried about because I've not, I've not done the same process. So it's, it's perhaps a, a bit lacking in that department, but hopefully I've tried to make up for it. So do you feel like you need more connection with the area to finish yeah. the book the way you want to? But a friend of mine who's a librarian has done a little um, tour of Plymouth and gone to all the places and paced it out for me. So I'm lucky I've got friendly librarians in every town. <laughs> it's always a good thing to have, isn't it? Just and they've sent me like they've sent me um about eight books from the um Plymouth local history and um, collection. You know, the stuff you can't borrow and they've lent me it. It's just wonderful. There is something about being there, isn't there, in the actual environment, the smells, the sounds, what you can see, the people. It just brings it to life what you're trying to write. Yeah, that's what I say to children as well. If you if you can go to a place you're writing about, 
it really helps. Like, for instance, one of my books is about a haunted football stadium called Ghost Stadium. And it's um, these boys end up camping overnight in a haunted football stadium. And so I went and camped overnight on my own in a football stadium just to scare myself and <laughs> to know what it looked like, sounded like, smelt like, etc. And was it haunted? No, it wasn't, it wasn't scary, unfortunately. Fortunately, when I was 20, I had a scary incident, so I used that instead. Uh, I was going to say, they could have set up all sorts of things to scare you throughout the night. Uh, could have got the wardens to come out with. <laughs> but I had, I had like, I had keys, so I could go into all the corridors. You know, you know, like the corridors under the stands. I had full run of the stadium. I went to all the creepy, dark places to freak myself out, but it just wouldn't, um, just couldn't scare myself. You're very brave. I think I just use my imagination. I don't think I go to those extremes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point you can because as an author you say you say oh and he, like when i went up on the ferry up up norway and i wanted a scene in it where there was um people shooting at people in the engine room and so i, I went on the ferry and i got in touch with them before i went i said on the ferry can i go in the engine room because it was a massive you know massive passenger ferry and then uh, they, they gave me like a two-hour tour of the, the guts of the ship, like where, where the passengers don't see. So like the engine room, this colossal three-story sort of weird machine, like you're inside this machine. And then when in the freezers where there's like massive freezers, the size of the inside of whole library full of, you know, full of, of frozen food. And then there's a cell, a prison cell um, in every, in every big, in every big ship, all these things you just wouldn't imagine, which I could therefore stick in the book. It was great. And the people will, will, they'll give you access to stuff. You say, oh, I'm writing a book about, come on in, come on in, and I'll show you. It's great. The people are really lovely. Are you the sort of author that is very methodical with your ideas when you have an idea for a book, or do you kind of make it up as you go along? How do you kind of keep track of your your ideas? Yeah, methodical. I think definitely. Um, I'll do. I'll I'll start off with like intense research. So I'll watch films, read books, visit museums, visit places, interview people, and, and I gather it all in um, in a well, in a scrapbook, which I sort of fill with usually images that I can base my characters and my settings on, um, but also a notebook um, that I just put everything that I find out in the notebook to make sure it's all there. And then once I've got all that research done, I'll um, I'll put it I'll put it into a plan. I'm, I'm quite meticulous with plans. I, I sort of I like to get the plan to work, and so it's like a it's like a um, I, could, I like to dry run the story before I actually write it. So and I do that. I sort of do that with the plan. And this is the plan for after the war. Um, and it, as you'll see, it's, I can show you some of it anyway. It's about three metres long, so I can't show you the whole thing. But You're holding up like a, a long piece of, I'd say, ooh, I don't know, about a metre long at least, bit of paper with a lot of post-it notes on it. Yeah, but the post-it notes are great because they're like you can move them around so i put them all on i put the post-it notes on this piece of paper um a long strip about three meters long and then i move the post-it notes around until i feel that the scenes have been put in the right order and then because then you've kind of you've made a lot of mistakes while planning it and then it comes together as a structure when you're writing it and i'll run it through i'll go so i'll go through and i'll take each character through 
each of those um, sequences of scenes to make sure it works for them and their development and their, as people call it, story arc. Um, and um, so it's sort of a dry running of it so I can put all the characters through that. And then when it works, and obviously I adjust it as I go along, but then when it works, I'll um, make it into a, a printed um, typed up plan and then I'm away. So this all happens before you even kind of put pen to paper or finger to keyboard, so to speak. Yeah, and I'll 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 usually know what the ending's gonna be, but occasionally I keep it a secret for myself. Like with Armistice Runner, for instance, there's there's a character who um his brother's killed in the First World War, he goes to fight in the First World War with the intention of killing a German to take revenge for his brother's death and I I didn't tell I kept the ending a secret um so that I wouldn't um so to surprise myself and to so I didn't sort of telegraph the 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 ending to the to the reader. So when you say you kind of kept it a secret from yourself, do you mean you literally waited till you got to that bit of the book and then thought, right, what am I gonna do? Yeah, so I got up to the point like basically it was his intention intention all along. He, he at the end of the war he gets hold of a German soldier who he saves from a French lynch mob. Um, because he wants to kill him, he thinks, and then he he goes off with him and he takes him a prisoner. But then then he then he, he's not sure whether he's going to do that or not. That's the bit I got up to in the book. So I knew he was going to get hold of a soldier, but I didn't know what I was going to do, what he was going to do with him. And I think that was quite a good because it kind of made me keep it open and and not not sort of give away the ending to the to the reader. And it was good. It was good. I think it kept me on my toes. It was a good thing to do. I might do it again. So does that kind of factor into kind of creative inspiration and and the dreaded thing of writer's block then? I'm imagining if you've planned a story out to that extent before you start, you're kind of almost circumventing that to an extent because you've got a really good map of how it's going to go. You're not faced, or am I wrong? Are you still, I guess there's still a point where you're faced with that blank page and you've got to make the actual words happen or does that make it a lot easier? It makes it a lot easier. I mean, like every day you're faced with a blank page and you think, Oh God, what am I going to do here? But um, but I mean, you just once you get going, it's like I look at it like going for a run, and the first kilometer is unpleasant of when you go for a run. Well, it is when I go for a run, but suddenly you find yourself on kilometer five, six, seven, eight, and you're feeling all right. It, well, that's better than you were before, anyway. And it's the same with writing. I just think getting going is quite hard. But I do have a theory about writer's block, and I might be proved wrong, but I, I think it's a concept which uh, well, I think it comes from when a lot of people. Um, had a lot of money and they could just sit around and write and they didn't have to finish something because it didn't matter because it wasn't about money. But although I love writing, it is about money as well because I write for, for money and it's my job. And if I got writer's block within a, a couple, you know, within three or four months, we'd, we'd start going behind on our, um, our mortgage payments and all sorts. So it is, I, I, I don't acknowledge it personally as something that's happening. However, However, there are circumstances in people's lives where I think a general situation in their lives or a general state of, of health, mental health, I suppose, in particular, where it could happen. But I do think the concept comes from um, when most writers were rich and had nothing else to do and they could just say, oh, I can't do it. I can't I can't find my muse. Whereas you can find your muse very easily when you, you're worried about paying the mortgage. I think it's like, it doesn't matter if it's writing or anything. If you've got a deadline looming, it's there's nothing quite like a deadline to motivate you to get stuff done, is there? It's, it's amazing how much you can do. Indeed. And the, one of the one of the publishers I work for, um, I've, I've known certain individuals to miss deadlines and they're out. That's it. And they're gone. And I never miss a deadline with them. 
I might push it a bit with the others, but with them, they're, they're ruthless and, and it works. So where exactly do the ideas come from then? I'm interested in that. If you, you kind of start with this kind of post-it note or kind of very organised, planned thing, where do the kind of ideas come from that feed into that originally? I start off with the idea and then I do research and the idea, I just gather like, I gather like 500 ideas and then I just pick the best 60 or 70 to put in the book. Like, so I found a photo of some of the, the, in After the War, the story about the Holocaust survivors who come to this country. These are children who professed like a terror of men in uniform. And yet there's a photograph of one of them smiling, wearing a, a British Airman's hat, cap, um, and that was like really interesting to me because like they, they're terrified of men in uniform because they've murdered their families and because they've tortured them and enslaved them and tried to murder them. And um, so no wonder they're terrified of men in uniform. But then you see this picture of a, the Holocaust survivor in an airman's hat and you think, how did that come about? And then you, your mind starts to work like scenarios, how that could have come about. And that became quite an important scene in, in my book. So you draw from your sources and then, you sort of put two and two together, really. And, and especially when you're writing about something that needs historical accuracy. Um, and then you, then you go in search of a story. So you, you come up with a theory, say, for how this could have happened. Then you go in search of a story and find, it's almost scientific, isn't it? But you go and you actually go and find and prove your theory. Um, and you find that source of information and you can write it. That's history books. Whereas in the, in the football fiction ones, which are made up and it doesn't matter what you put because no one's real life is, is involved, um, then you can make up, you know, whatever you like. But in history, it needs to be a bit more, a bit more um, grounded, I feel. The, the inspiration for this, when you're researching, are you kind of researching with the idea that something might lead to a book or is this just stuff you're reading about in your normal everyday life anyway? I'm kind of reminded a bit of... Um, when comedians will often talk about routines or their everyday life and they'll say, oh, that, that'll be a good one because I'll get a routine out of that. Is, is it the same for a writer? Are you always, everything that happens or everything you read, you're thinking, oh, maybe there's a book in that? Yeah, yeah, it is. Every, like the conversations, things you see and things you see and you might make a note or, uh, but I, I, I'm more like just trust that if it's a good one, it'll stay in my head and if it's not, it won't and I don't bother. I suppose I'm trying to reduce the amount of work <laughs> work i've got to do but definitely when i'm when i've got an idea i'll read around it like like recently like i've read around i, I wanted to write a story about um a, a, a boy or a girl who was in the hitler youth and how they went from being a part of their family a loving family to turning on their own parents and dobbing their parents in for, for something to to the nazis and um i started reading around it and i just screeched to a halt having read about it just because i couldn't take any more that Nazi Holocaust stuff, having just written a book about it, I just didn't want to do it. So I dropped that. And then I tried something else and I read around that and it just didn't feel right. And then I've just started reading something else and it's it's, it's working like a dream. And I know this is going to be the next book to the point that I then phoned my publisher and said, can I tell you about my next idea? And, and she likes it. I mean, she's not made any guarantees, but I trust her to, you know, to go with me with it and that's going to be the next book I write and that's really exciting and I'm in that now I'm in that in that groove and it's um it's like only like the last week two weeks that's happened and it, it's um that's an exciting thing because anything's possible because once an idea works and you think this is going to work as a book like all the problems that later down the line to do with planning and editing and deadlines and all that don't mean anything because this is like this is like just 
flying freely in the sky, doing what you want before you actually have to get down to the more um, structured stuff. You also do a, a lot of school visits, am I right, as part of your uh, your kind of work. How did you get involved in that and what, what sort of stuff do you do with the kids when you visit schools? I mean, now, nowadays it does tend to, tend to be a lot more history stuff. So I, to, I talk about the books and the history and if they're doing the First World War or the Second World War, I just I just end up like doing questions with them because I end up telling them the same stuff when they ask questions if, if I was to give a, a lecture but it's a much easier format. I think that sort of Q&A and then it's more funny and then you get unexpected stuff. So and I go in and I try to be, basically I try to go in, I'm a normal person um, who writes, you're normal people, you could write too. And and that just get get rid of that whole idea of the author as this genius person, which is just absurd. But, but the thing I used to do, I used to do something called a football reading game, which was like a quiz about different stuff. You can read about football um we talk about reading newspapers, websites, magazines, nonfiction, fiction, comics, and then anyone who got a question right would get to take a penalty. And I'd taken a football goal or a rugby goal, rugby league option available, um, and um, which I've done a lot in Hull. And um, then we have a kicking competition and someone wins a trophy. So it becomes like a, a competitive thing. And when I started doing school events, I was nervous. And I didn't, if I can create a game or an activity where the children aren't looking at me, but they're focused on another goal, literally and metaphorically. And that works really well for me. And also you get them to talk about reading for pleasure. Because when I go into school, if I'm getting paid to go into a school, like if I'm not getting paid, it is to a degree about promoting the book. If they're paying me to go into a school, I want to deliver what they want. And that's not children buying my books necessarily. It's more children wanting to read for pleasure and realizing that they already do read for pleasure. And I think that's really important when you go into a school is, is to, you know, not just narrowly talk about your own books, but to, to talk about what you love to read and, and why, how reading about football in newspapers encourage you to become a, a writer and how normal it is if you work hard and believe in yourself to become an author. So you mentioned, I think, there about maybe being a little bit nervous at first when kind of going into schools. And I think it was Phil L we were talking to on a, a previous episode of the podcast who said there's a lot of pressure on authors these days. I think his phrase was song and dance men as well when they kind of go around doing stuff. Um, so yeah. was that kind of difficult at first or how did, how did you kind of approach that? It was. I was terrified. But I did, um, I did a course with the National Association of Writers in Education, Norway, and it was like how to be, make a living as a writer in schools. This is 15 years ago. Um, and you basically, you got, you got mentored by an author who'd been doing it for a while. You did three, three day courses, um, and then you, you got a residency in a school, but all the children and the teachers knew that you were new to it and you were going to make a mess of it, and they helped you get it right. To the point of pointing out, like, oh, you, you know, I like I used to make mistakes, and the kids would like sort of gently tell me, <laughs> but that was really good. And and then just immersing yourself in it and learning. I mean, the first the first six months to a year of it were difficult, and I made loads of mistakes. But I think if you go in with be yourself and and show goodwill and show and don't be too uptight about getting it wrong. Laugh at yourself. And Phil L's great at laughing at himself. So. Um, <laughs> but I won't get into it. He's a nice guy and he, he makes friends with the children and they become very comfortable chatting with him. And that's that's the important thing because you can. it's much easier to put, put across messages about reading for pleasure 
and enjoying writing when you've got a relaxed environment. So next up, myself and Katie talked to our colleague Amy about her job, musicals, murder mysteries, and how children's books don't just have to be for children. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Amy. I wonder if you could start by telling us what exactly your job title is in the library service, because just before we started, I, I tried to guess at what your job was and I got it a bit wrong, didn't I? Just a bit, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, officially, my title is, and I have to look at this, Learning and Engagement Development Manager for the whole school's library service. I mean, that's that's not a good start if you even have to look at the job title, <laughs> is it? It's so long. Basically, if it's got anything to do with children and getting them into reading, that's my job. And so for people who don't know, what actually is the school's library service? Well, when I first came to Hull, because I lived in London for the past 10 years up until um, coming back two years ago, and I didn't know that question myself and, until I started working at a local primary school. And... Back then, I just thought the school's library service was a place where you'd rent books from, return them when you're done. But wow, are we so much more than that. So we're responsible, yes, for delivering things like class reads to schools, um, boxes full of non-fiction text to help support cross-curricular reading. Um, But that's just the tip of the iceberg as to what we do over here. We um, produce resource boxes so that children can get hands-on with their learning in topics like the ancient Egyptians or the environment, ancient Rome, for example. We supply science experiment kits. We put on events for World Book Day. Um, Basically, anything to get kids excited about reading um, is what we do over here. Obviously, you said you've been doing the job for about two years at this point, and I guess the last year for all of us has been a bit odd, a bit different in some ways. That's the understatement of the century, perhaps. Um, but what's your kind of highlight so far? Of I'm especially thinking when you still could kind of go into schools and do stuff. Well, I mean, there's nothing that beats going into schools with an author and doing those uh, amazing author tours that we do. Um, and just to see the kids' faces when you when they're shown that reading is really exciting and that it's not just about sitting down and reading a book quietly. Um, and the authors really get that over to them and they really explain that you can be an author if, you know, anybody can be an author. You don't have to be good at writing, you don't have to be good at reading. And it's Tom Palmer and Phil Earle who really get that across to the schools. Um, because they were both reluctant readers when they were at school and they, the children in our city really resonate with them, especially because they're quite local authors as well. But we've taken so many brilliant people around. Last year, Michelle Robinson did a huge author tour for us and the kids absolutely loved the story of the day the banana went bad, which was our chosen text for World Book Day. And she went into schools dressed a bit as a banana, got them all singing and dancing, uh, all the teachers too. So it's just, there's nothing quite like the buzz of a school when an author or an illustrator um, or a theatre group have been in and done a performance. But thankfully, we've been able to do that still in lockdown. 
Um, yes, and albeit virtually, but it still has a, an amazing impact on the children. And it, sometimes it's even a little bit more personal because there might be only one class on that Zoom, for instance, with that, um, with that author. So it is really interactive and really personal. And the, the children get a lot more opportunities to ask the authors questions themselves. So they go home saying, oh, yes, we've spoken to an author today, dad or grandma, whatever. Uh, and they really do enjoy it and get something from it. Okay, so we'll start exploring your interests a little bit now, and we'll start, as we usually do, by asking you what you've been doing during lockdown to keep yourself sane and keep yourself busy. I don't know if sane's the right word. Um, I've been doing a lot of dog walking, uh, exploring the local area. So as I said earlier, I've, um, I've been away from Hull for quite a long time. For about 10 years, I lived in central London and came back about two years ago. Um, so I've been re-exploring where I grew up, basically, and doing lots of exercising, really. I've been trying to keep fit. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to New Zealand in 2020. I got there. I arrived home just as lockdown struck. Um, so since then, I, I've just been keeping myself fit in the house just by doing online workouts. Um, I needed to wear off some of those um, pounds I put on drinking plenty of New Zealand wine. I suppose exercising is a bit like reading almost in that some people think they don't like it, but actually what you've got to do is find the one that works for you. I think a lot of people think, oh, I don't like exercising, so I don't like running. I've never particularly enjoyed running the streets, so I'm not going to exercise, but actually... There's loads of stuff you can do in like your own house or whatever. It's just like like finding the right book for you. It's like finding the right sort of exercise. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, running is definitely not for me. I hate it and I've got dodgy knees. Um, and I, my mind is quite active anyway. So I need something that is going to, um, I can't be doing the same thing for half an hour. I will get bored and I will stop. So I need to select exercises that change like every few minutes. Um, so they've been really, really good. Uh, and just, yeah, help me de-stress, really. I actually play a lot of football, or did, before lockdown. Um, it's just unfortunate we can't play it at the minute. But we've got our dogs to walk, eh? I know certainly I've exactly. been walking my dog a lot. It's I know, my dog's loving it, walking all the time. <laughs> Definitely. We've even um, lent hours out to, to my auntie so she can go and walk her. <laughs> rent, rent a dog. <laughs> rent a dog. <laughs> There's a business idea. <laughs> yeah, we need to speak to the business team. Yeah. So what have you been up to in regards to, um, you know, kind of telly and reading and stuff? Have you have you been reading a lot during lockdown? Because other staff members we've talked to, it's been kind of a mix. Some people who would previously read a lot have kind of watched more telly and not read as much or vice versa. So what's been your take on it? Well, I've had to do a lot of reading because of the book awards. So um, reading is work, but it's also downtime as well. Um, so I've just been reading and um, working my way through the 10 shortlisted titles um, and reading a couple of extras on the side. Um, Phil Earl has got two new books out. So um, I have had, I've had advanced copies of those. So I've been starting to get my teeth into those. Um, but something that I've loved 
recently are the Adventures on Trains series by M.G. Leonard. And one of them is shortlisted for the Book Award. Um, but I haven't read a series of books since Harry Potter. And I've fallen in love with the Adventures on Train series just as much as I did Harry Potter all those years ago, too many years ago to, to think about, really. What are these about, then? These are about mysteries that happen on trains. So it's about um, Hal, who is a young boy, and he goes away with his uncle Nat um, on train journeys. Uh, and some mysteries happens on board and, and Hal has to solve the mystery. So um, there's three books out currently. Um, I've read the first two. Um, so I've just got to wait for the third one now. Um, but they're so, I love anything Art Deco. And they are really, they really paint a picture of that Art Deco type of um, train and the luxury and they're all sleeper carriages and they go on brilliant journeys and the description is so vivid and clear you can really picture yourself in them and you can never guess who done it so to speak um so for instance there was a kidnap in book two and i was get, trying to guess all the way through i couldn't and bearing in mind these are for children as well um they're just going to keep them really really entertained so they're my favorite things um, to read at the moment. So that's kind of an interesting thing then, because obviously these are children's books and you kind of said you you kind of have to read them for your job a little bit sort of, but you're actually really enjoying them. Is it a challenge to read children's books or what do you think the appeal for kind of adults are? And is there an appeal to adults for ch reading children's books? Yeah, they're just amazing. It just seems like in the world of children's books, anything can happen. And I know that's true for all books, but there's something magical about, about children's books and it kind of takes you back to your younger days as well. Um, so I enjoy all children's books, picture books, easy readers, um, young adult books. I, I read them all. And not because I have to, but because I really, really enjoy them. I think... I mentioned earlier the day the banana went bad by Michelle Robinson and Tom Knight that is my ultimate favorite book ever it's just brilliant and it's a picture book it's a rhyming picture book it's easy to read it's got adult humor in there as well um, and so I'd advise anybody to read children's books they're easy going they really do transport you to other places like I said I I felt like I was on board that train with Helen is his uncle. So as someone who kind of hasn't read a children's book since they were a child, probably I'm talking about myself now, it's interesting that you say there's kind of bits of adult humour in there. It almost puts me in mind of when you watch like a Pixar film or something and it's kind of aimed at kids, but there's lots of nods to adults in there because obviously adults are going to be watching it as well. So I didn't realise that perhaps children's books were written in that way as well with kind of stuff in there for adults. Is that kind of common then yeah absolutely i think it, it is similar to the um pixar and the and the disney i'm a huge pixar and disney fan as well um and yeah i think because authors know that teachers are going to be reading it to their classes and that parents and carers and relatives will be reading it with younger people i think they do bear that in mind when when they're writing too yeah definitely so do you have any other top tips for kind of um children's book that would be good to read as an adult i know i mentioned him earlier tom palmer's books are brilliant 
especially for people who want to learn more about history, uh, and in particular World War One and World War Two. I found those fascinating as an adult. I, I used to love learning about the war, and I can remember being in year six at St Andrews, and the war was my favourite topic, topic to study um, because it impacted us in the city so much. Uh, and Tom writes so beautifully uh, about the war and the friendships and the relationships. Obviously, they're harrowing in parts as well. And it, it, he helps you learn about what happened in your local area and, and places not too far away from us, perhaps that we didn't even realise. So what about in terms of moving away from books? Have you been watching any films or television recently? <laughs> of course! <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> That's all most of us have done for the past year, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I think I've watched too much. At the minute, I have just started watching Star Wars. I have never seen a Star Wars <gasps> in my life. I'm really surprised. Yeah, I know I'm a Disney convert, and I know Star Wars is now on Disney Plus, and they have the franchise and everything. And um, so I thought I'd better start watching it. Um, so yeah, I watched episode one on Saturday and episode two on Sunday. Are you doing it the old-fashioned way of the world? I am. No, I am doing it um, via episode. Interesting. That's probably a controversial choice for some people. It will be. I did have the lowdown from Matt about all the different ways in which I could watch it. I was going to say, talk to our colleague Matt about all this. (laughs) (laughs) But I've I've decided to go by episode just so it makes more sense, I think. And then, you know, maybe afterwards I will watch them in release order. What do you reckon up to now then? Which, what do you think to them? I didn't think much to episode one, but I was warned about that one. Episode two was much better. I mean, you've probably started with the three most kind of controversial or not as universally loved films there. So it's a it's a bold choice to start with them. I think most people would probably start with episode four, the original first one, if they were kind of going in fresh. But the only benefit of this is that for every Star Wars I am watching... Uh, my other half watches a musical. Oh, is that the deal? That's the <laughs> deal. <laughs> because my favourite movies ever are musicals, um, especially from like the 1950s and 60s with Judy Garland in her later years and Doris Day. And yeah, this I just like all the nostalgia um, of, of those musicals and the happy endings and, you know, a bit of light relief in these times. So what would be some of your all-time favourite musicals then? Because as I've watched a few musicals in my time, but not a massive amount. It's not a genre I know a great deal about. So what would be your kind of top picks for someone that didn't know anything about that world and wanted to get into it a bit or just give it a go? Well, I'd say my top musical ever which people will know of because of the re-releases, is A Star Is Born, but the 1954 version with Judy Garland and James Mason, not the Streisand version uh, and not the Gaga version, but the Judy Garland one. Oh, it's amazing. It really, really is out of this world. Um, So that's my ultimate favourite. And obviously you've got your classics, 
you've got your sound of music, your Mary Poppins, and they're always brilliant to get you uh, to get you into your musicals. I just watched Dream Girls on Sunday. Um, that's a really good one if you're into your music. It's got lots of Motown. That's one of the genre of music that is um, one of my ultimate favourites. So I love that one for the music and, it, and its similarities between um, the story of the Supremes. So, but yeah, any musical really. Oliver, that's another one of my favourites. Les Mis, I love them all. And that's probably what I miss most um, in lockdown, is going to the theatre. And I think that's true for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, that's something that I, I really, really do miss. I think musicals are one of those things that's perhaps they kind of divide people a little bit, don't they? They can be a bit um, marmitey, I guess would be the phrase. Well, I wonder why that is. I think probably because some of them are very twee. And, and you, some of them you can kind of guess what's going to happen. And some people don't like it when the whole story is told in song. Um, so some people love Lamey's. Other people find it really difficult um, to get into because the whole thing is sung, basically. Um, so I think that's probably a couple of reasons of reasons why. But if you haven't seen any, you've, you've got to give it a go. But um, another genre I love is also like your Agatha Christie's. And I suppose that's why I love the Adventures on Train series, um, because I, I do love the Agatha Christie and any, any mystery, any crime drama, um, and I suppose before I did this job, I was a teacher. And before I was a teacher, I was in the police. So I guess it comes from that, my history, my work history as to why I love all the um, crime dramas and um, crime books. So having a history in the police then, there's not that thing that if you're reading or watching some crime story, you're going, that's not how it's done. They wouldn't do it like uh, that. Oh, yeah. It's not too much of a busman's <laughs> holiday, is it? <laughs> But you do notice when they do it right. And then you say, oh, that was awesome. Line of duty, awesome. I did really get into the kind of whole Scandi thing at one point with like the bridge, but um, there's so much crime drama out there. I think it's like, it's one of those genres that if you've not really dipped into, it's kind of a bit hard to know where to start. Probably like if you've never read a crime book, there's so many authors. It's like, where would you even begin with it? Because it, it can seem like every other show is a kind of crime drama sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's personal taste as well, isn't it? It's like all the crime authors have wrote so many. Everyone will have their absolute favourite and you've got to start with that. But it's just uh, just pick one up and have a go sometimes. It's for escapism, isn't it? You've got to enjoy it as well. Some people would find that really not enjoyable or relaxing to watch a crime or read and, you know, would prefer a musical or like Sarfags. We've had this chat, haven't we, with other colleagues about what people are into and what they're like and what they find relaxing. I have often thought this though, like when I'm reading or watching stuff, I do tend to like, like probably like a lot of people read and watch the same kind of things again and again, the same genres. And I think I would love to kind of break out that and try something new, but it's it's really hard. Um, I did used to love reading um, Raymond Chandler books when I was younger. I read all them that sort of like 1940s, 1950s American gumshoe style that proper kind of classic private detective thing where I think a lot of that kind of the the idea of that comes from. I used to love reading them, um, but I haven't read that sort of stuff for years. And I think that's because that really painted a sort of different world 
than the one we sort of live in. It's like this kind of American Hollywood idea of a private detective and it's set in the set in the past so it kind of conjures up something i guess a bit like with the musicals that you were talking about whereas it's about that escapist thing as well i guess and sometimes i think some of like the crime things that are set in the modern day for me just seem a bit too i don't want to say close to home because it's not like there's a lot of crime going on in my life but they're set <laughs> they're set in the real world if you know what yeah. I mean. it's not yeah as... they can be a bit too true can't they yeah and some of them are true some of them are events that have actually have actually happened so they can be really upsetting um, and some people don't want to watch them so yeah it is it is absolutely personal preference and like your point with the um reading dan i think that's why the book awards are so good especially for kids because usually they have a genre and they might stick to that genre so i know my nephew for instance he went through a wimpy kid stage and i couldn't get him reading anything else but the book awards, because you have to read those five texts if you're part of the book awards, um, we try and make sure that they're all from a different genre. So they're reading a sci-fi, they're reading a mystery, they're um, reading a real story that could happen. Um, and it, again, yeah, it's just about trying them, trying them and, and seeing. Like I am the first to say, I don't do sci-fi. It's not my genre at all, but the Book Awards this year, there's some really good sci-fi in there. True Friend, that one is about um, um, being able to buy a robot, taking it into school, and it being your friend. And what are the pros and cons of that? What are the ethical dilemmas with that? And it, it's, it's been really, really interesting. So yeah, just, just give it a go, that's what I say. Without any prompting, then, Amy. Um, <laughs> without any time to think, give us your. I'm fi- thinking. No, no thinking. I am thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Quick. No thinking. <laughs> What's your all-time favourite book, film, and piece of music? Book, although we haven't talked about it. The truth about the Harry Quibert affair. Loved it. it. Was the last adult book I've read. Piece of music, probably the man that got away. Um, Judy Garland in A Star Is Born film. I don't know. You do. Too many, there are too many to choose from. There are way too many to choose. What's from. the one that makes you cry, or is got a place in your uh, heart? Anything makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> if you needed a comfort meal of a film, then you're feeling a bit sad or down. You just think I need that nice, comforting, warm film to watch. What would be um, nice to go back to? Uh, Mary Poppins. There you go. That yeah, that is a good one. Everybody wants a Mary Poppins in their life. Yeah. I just want a hat stand to pull out of a bag. I just want the (laughs) brolin. Thanks for listening. We're now available on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for Hull Libraries. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can get all of the latest episodes as soon as they're out. In the meantime, if you want to check out any of our amazing services at the Hull Libraries, please check out the website hcndell.co.uk slash libraries or any of our social media channels. Thanks for listening and see you next time.